Hi everyone and welcome to the Paramount Podcast. Um, I'm James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm delighted to welcome a new guest to the show today. Um, someone I've been really excited to have on the show. Um, all the way from the Netherlands. Um, it, um, her name is Becky Castle Miller and she is an author and um, lots of other things. Um, so welcome Becky, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, Becky and I connected on Twitter, which is often how I connect with people. Um, Becky, tell us about what you do. Well, I am an American, but I've been living in Maastricht in the Netherlands for the past six years. And we moved over here so that I could serve at an international church. My husband is, uh, you know, just like just like the Apostle Paul had patrons like Phoebe. Uh, my husband, I guess, is my patron. So I'm able to be here as a missionary because uh, he works for a Belgian data consultancy and was able to fund our move here and um make it possible for me to serve full-time in ministry. So I serve at an international church in between taking care of my five young children and also wow. being a seminary student at Northern Seminary in Chicago. Uh, I do a live streaming seminary program. So actually my seminary classes are Tuesday nights from 11 p.m. to 1.40 a.m. in my time zone. Mm, wow. Uh, so, and I'm also right now working on a book for Zondervan called Following King Jesus, and I'm co-writing that with my seminary professor, Dr. Scott McKnight. It's a discipleship manual. Wow, that's amazing. And you have this, you have this um, magazine on Medium, um, which is, a, by the way, Medium, everyone, uh, online kind of blog thing where you can just write blog posts and post them. You can start your own magazines as well. Um, if you're a blogger, that's a place to start because you don't need to have any money to do it. You can just set yourself up there. Um, but yes, Becky uh, writes a lot on on Medium, and you've set up this thing called Wholehearted on there. Uh, so tell us a bit about what that is um, and what you do with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my main focuses in ministry and writing is on mental and emotional health and how that intersects and interacts with our spiritual health. So Wholehearted specifically is about pastoring toward emotional health, um, both for ministry leaders and just for lay people in the church who want to think about how we can grow spiritually and emotionally healthy. Um, I, I eventually, and I do some of this now, I train small group leaders in my church and I train ministry leaders around mm. Europe. Um, and one thing I always focus on is providing pastoral care. Uh, because we can teach and we can preach, uh, but we also, I think one of the key roles of a pastor is to provide soul care for people. Mm. And uh, a lot of times when Christians are struggling with their mental or emotional health, one of the first people they'll turn to is a clergy person. Uh, but that's not, mental and emotional health aren't really covered in seminary courses. And so a lot of pastors are out of their depth when it comes to actually providing mental and emotional care for their parishioners, the members of their church. So I would love to help ministry leaders continue to develop their skills, learning to understand concepts mm. around mental health and emotional health, and and how we can learn from Jesus as our example of emotional health. Um, so I want to help pastors grow in that skill, and I want to help people in churches get mentally and emotionally healthy. Yeah, that's really important. It, like mental illnesses, I've talked about mental illness on this show many many times um something i'm very passionate about and um mm -hmm. had 
a few different guests on. Um, had a guy on recently. Those listeners who know will know um, a guy called Aaron who um, uh, who is bipolar too um, and a Christian. Mm-hmm. And um, he shared his story, and it um, he's had some very bad experiences with with the church, and um, he's written about them a lot. And uh, yeah, and the church, some of, a lot of the church isn't dealing very well with mental illness, and like, and especially for, the role of a pastor is always, has always been challenging, but I think it's getting more challenging now with you know with more and more people having mental illness challenges and challenges with their emotional health and Mm -hmm. they definitely need that support um so that's a really good thing that you're doing um uh yeah so i mean like what i mean what's your own experience of um kind of mental illness or emotional Mm -hmm. illness or whatever um my own experience um i grew up in a christian family and my dad is a pastor, and um, so I've always been a follower of Jesus since I was a child. Mm. And there were very good things about my growing up in the church. There were also some real challenges because the Christian circles that I grew up in were very um, fundamentalist, um, American evangelicalism, but on the very conservative side. And those circles don't tend to handle emotional and mental health well. So I absorbed a lot of messages growing up that emotions were to be distrusted, um, that we really needed to ignore and suppress our negative emotions, that they weren't godly to be angry or to be sad. Mm. Um, My dad was an army chaplain, and so I moved around a lot, but I, I somehow picked up the message that I really shouldn't be sad about all the homesickness and the loss I was experiencing because we were following God's call for ministry. So I should be happy about all the places we moved in the world. Mm. Um, so I just, as I grew up, I, I built up more and more losses as we moved frequently and I stuffed all of that emotion. Um, mm. and then left home, went to college, uh, met my husband at college. We got married, um, and then started having children And um, after my second child was born, I had um, undiagnosed postpartum depression. I didn't know what was wrong with me, but something was really wrong. I was sad all the time. I was crying all the time. I could barely get out of bed to take care of my two young children. My husband's career was really demanding at the time. He was traveling and gone a lot. So I was home alone with, with the two kids, and I didn't have a vocabulary about mental health Mm. or vocabulary or concepts of emotional health. Right. And so I just kept trying to suck it up and just get through it. And I was failing. And some friends, thankfully, said, you know, you seem to have a lot of depression symptoms. And friends shared their stories with me and said, I was struggling and I went to see a professional therapist and it really helped. Or I tried antidepressants and it really made a difference for me. So my friends literally saved my life. I was having suicidal thoughts. Mm. Um, I was just so deeply sad, both from the hormonal imbalance that I didn't even understand was going on in my postpartum experience, mm. but also just from this these accumulated losses and homesickness and grief that I had never processed from my years of growing up and not knowing how to handle my emotions. So I just really fell apart in 2009. Um, sort of the the turning point 
toward change was, was a complete emotional breakdown that I had in July of 2009. I was visiting my hometown, uh, had a family reunion and I just, something snapped and I ran out of there sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and realized I needed to get some help. Uh, so I went through my midwife when I got back home and she got me in to see a psychiatric nurse and I was finally formally diagnosed with postpartum depression. Um, and they worked with me to get a dosage of medication, an antidepressant that would work for me. We tried some different types. We tried some different dosages. It was tough. Dealing with the side effects was a mm -hmm. challenge, as it often is for people. But we finally found a medication combination that worked for me. Mm -hmm. And within just a few weeks, there was a radical difference. I started being able to function. Um, mm -hmm. I started to be able to yeah. um, get through the day and start to feel positive emotions again. And the medication got me healthy enough that I could then start talk therapy. And so I went mm -hmm. to see a licensed Christian counselor. Um, she's a professional therapist who happened to be a Christian. She wasn't a mm -hmm. biblical counselor or an untrained Christian counselor, or a pastoral counselor, but she was a licensed therapist um, who was a Christian. So she was able to provide professional therapy to me and also bring in faith into the process. And that was incredible. And what she did for me was teach me how to feel my emotions. And I kind of felt like I was five years old because we would do exercises. Like she would say, okay, what are you, what are you feeling? And I would learn to identify it. I feel sad. Okay. Why do you feel sad? Well, I feel sad because I'm processing this loss. Okay. That's very reasonable. She would say, um, and she would remind me not to beat myself up. I was 28, 29 at the time. And she said, you know, the losses you're, you're grieving happened when you were 18 or 19. When you bring those up, because you've never dealt with them, you're 19 again. You know, you work with teenage girls. She reminded me, how would you treat them if they came to you? She said, you would be kind and compassionate. And you need to be kind and compassionate with, with your 19-year-old self who's processing these decades-old emotions. And so... The process of medication and therapy and then my own personal spiritual growth mm. radically changed my life. Um, wow. And, and I got, got healthy. So that's, um, that's my experience of needing help and intervention with my mental health and with my emotional health. And after I started getting healthy, um, I became very passionate about helping other people deal with those same things and just giving them a vocabulary for it and ways to find help. Yeah. Um, I ran an online magazine for about a year about women's mental health. Uh, and that was a really great experience too. Wow. That's phenomenal. That's a, that's a really powerful story. And uh, yeah, it strikes me that you didn't, you didn't seem to get that support from your church initially, did you? Like it didn't seem that that, that was no. happening. No, my church was unequipped uh, to handle that. They were very kind people, but they also didn't have um, the ability to to teach me what I needed to learn about mental and emotional health. Mm. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's a challenge, isn't it? And because yeah, and that's why what you're doing is so so important because um, mental health is a real is a reality for a lot of people, and um, myself included. I have experience of mental illness i've had anxiety and um mm -hmm. depressive mood and suicidal ideation all of that i've, ha I've had that um and you know i still have anxiety <laughs> um so it really is important what you do i mean how did it impact 
How is your faith impacted by this experience? You know, I I went to a Christian college, uh, but leaving my, my home church from when I was in high school, I was really deeply involved there. And leaving that for college was kind of the final blow to all of the losses I'd had because of all the homesickness and the moving. So having gotten really established in a church community uh, when I was in high school and then leaving that for college was really kind of like the final blow to how much my heart could handle homesickness. Uh, so during college, I subconsciously shut down my ability to feel, I think, because I just couldn't no. deal with the the hurting of that anymore. Mm. Um, I also had some bad experiences with a lot of hypocrisy and bad teaching uh, at the Christian school that I went to. And so I got very cynical toward the church. So by the time I was done with college, my spiritual life was a mess. Um, I wasn't feeling, and I was pretty angry at the church and Christians in general, and just was very numb, very dry. So a few years later then, um, having this breakdown, one of the first changes I noticed as I broke down completely and then started stepping toward health was that God developed a love of the church in me again. Um, I, I could feel free in worship. I could feel the Holy Spirit's love for the church. Um, and I began to, I felt like my heart began to come alive again, both my heart emotionally and then also my spirit began to come alive again. Um, And I really then went through a faith deconstruction and reconstruction process to learn how to be a disciple of Jesus in ways that were healthy. So my emotional journey so much paralleled my spiritual journey. I couldn't have done one without the other. I needed to grow in both. Mm. It's really interesting. I've talked to a lot of people who've done deconstruction and uh, reconstruction and Um, a lot of them I find have along that journey have had mental health issues like like depression or anxiety or some kind of uh, mental Mm -hmm. illness um, along the way as part of the process Um, I don't say that to glamorise it in any way because I I would never glamorise mental illness at all Um, but it, it just seems to be interesting that 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 that's what happens that that's what that the church can do that in a sense that can that it, that it can it can cause that amount of damage in a sense um, and drive people to that. Um, I've talked to LGBT activists who have said that the church's attitude towards um, their sexuality has driven them to depression and suicidal ideation as well. Um, you know, I don't want to demonise the church because there are a lot of good churches out there. Um, and um, a lot of good church leaders out there as well, but um, the church has to bear some responsibility um, for these mm-hmm. things, and they have to start, you know, changing. Um, and what are the I mean, what are the things that what are the things that the key the key things that you think the church needs to start doing um, to make make church a safe space for mental illness? That's a big question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of things. I I feel the same as you. I don't want to demonize the church. The church is God's kingdom on earth. And this is where we need to do the work of the kingdom. Um, and so 
I, I'm in the church. I love the church. I'm for the church. But I also want to say very sternly and firmly, church, stop hurting people. That's the first thing is realize how you're damaging people spiritually, emotionally, and further damaging their mental health and stop, stop hurting, um, and then start helping. Um, so a few things that churches can do if they want to do better at addressing mental health and emotional health is that pastors and church leaders need to acquaint themselves with these topics. If they didn't study it in seminary, they need to buy some books and start reading about it. Um, there's a book called Troubled Minds that came out a few years ago about mental illness in the church. It's an excellent book. Um, there's a book called The Wisdom of Your Heart by Mark Allen Shelsky that I highly recommend about emotional health. Pete Scazzaro's work on emotionally healthy spirituality is excellent. Um, so I think uh, learning learning how to handle this is important. My friend Kristen Kinsevich um, has a blog called Church Therapy, and she is getting her PhD in counseling. And she uh, works alongside a church as a professional counselor who works together with pastors to help their the people in their church um, get the mental health help they need while going through a discipleship process. And so I think that Kristen's church therapy model is an excellent one. And it's one that I want to highly recommend and promote. It's for churches to realize they can't become mental health experts. They're not called to become therapists. They are called to be pastors. But they need to understand the topic so that they at least have some vocabulary and some knowledge for talking about it. But then they need to partner with mental health experts. Mm. They need to be able to send people out of their church to experts for therapy and consider a benevolence fund to pay for therapy for people in their church. Um, so mm. education and then partnering with uh, with experts in their fields to provide care, I think, is really important. So those are some just basic starting points. Um, and one aspect of that education process is I would highly recommend that pastors uh, educate themselves on abuse. A lot of the mental health struggles and a lot of the emotional health struggles that I see people in churches dealing with have come from abusive relationships, whether that was their parents or a, a boyfriend or girlfriend or a partner or a spouse or even a boss. Um there's a lot of hidden abuse in the church that's starting to come to the surface. And pastors need to understand dynamics. They need to understand how the cycle of abuse works in an intimate partner violent relationship. Mm. Um, they need to understand the red flags and they need to learn how to help victims. Um, Neil Shkori has done some excellent work on this. I've connected with him through Twitter. He's a domestic violence expert. Um, so, you know, understanding abuse is going to be a huge aspect of dealing with mental and emotional health struggles in your church. So those are a few ways. There's a lot more, but maybe yeah. that's a good starting point. That, yeah, I think that's a really good starting point. And I, I, I completely agree about, about the abuse thing. Um, it, yeah, especially, I mean, at the moment it's a very hot topic, but it's, it's a, but it's an important topic period. Um, you know, dealing with, uh, dealing with abuse because lots of people have, have suffered with abuse whether it's you know as children or um you know or like you say in abusive relationships or, or i mean there's so many different kinds of abuse um right. and 
and even the church has been guilty again, <laughs> you know, yes. a lot. Um, um, yeah, sexual abuse is a huge issue, yeah, and yeah. it's starting to come to light more and more. But it's been going on for centuries, absolutely, for decades. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we're you know dealing with abuse scandals, and it's not just the Catholic Church; um, it's no. absolutely the Protestant Church as well. And Boz Chavidjan of the organization Grace, who's a sexual abuse expert. Uh, says he thinks that the problem of clergy sexual abuse is actually worse in the Protestant church than in the Catholic church. So that's yeah. something to be aware of also. Yeah, and it's sad when you, have, when you have all these stories coming out and it's painful and, um, like, you know, especially, when, I mean, as a man, to, to hear about all these pastors, white men, doing abusing their power and, like, doing what they're doing and these unspeakable things. It's just mm-hmm. horrible. Like, and, kind of, and I just, as a human being, I get angry hearing those stories, not just yeah. as a man, you know. And, um, you know, there's no excuse. Like, we have to root this out and get rid of it. It has to just be allowed to die, whatever the cost, because it can't go on. And um, the church, um, and when I say the church, I mean, it's, I, I, I use that very loosely because I, I don't like to talk about the establishment. The establishment of church, the, the church establishment, is the, the kind of the group that I feel are most guilty of this. But when I say the church, I mean the community of people who follow Jesus in any way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. People who follow Jesus need to start doing something about this. You know, and um, it has to be all rooted out. We have to deal with mental illness. We have to deal with abuse. We have to deal with um, all of those things better, you know, mm-hmm. um, and um, yes, yeah, so it's it's a big it's a big time for the church. Um, um, yeah, and this and that's what again might so great what you're doing because it's such important work, um, you know, for the good for the good pastors and the good churches that are out there um, to get educated and to and to learn how to manage this well. And in a Jesus-like way, is really, really important. And that's, for pastors, theologically, I think a starting point is to engage with the humanity and the emotion of Jesus. Mm. Um, I think a lot of the church has lost sight of our real human Jesus and his real human emotions. And when we regain that picture theologically, it informs everything that we do in our process of discipleship. Yeah, I agree. I and mean, I've been going through a deconstruction and I think I'm just beginning a reconstruction. And the thing, mm-hmm. one of the things that's connected me to God again has been literally quotes from Jesus. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like just individual quotes mm-hmm. and actually just reading them, meditating on them, thinking about them. Um, mm-hmm. yeah they are it's incredible some of the things that he said you know um, and yeah I think you're absolutely right we need to look at Jesus again and see what mm-hmm. he was actually saying <laughs> yeah uh, a really powerful process for me a couple years ago I guess it was three years ago um, my church here went through a whole year uh, where our pastor did a series called the Jesus Life Challenge And we read through the Gospels three times that year. Um, So once a month we were reading a Gospel, and that was our challenge each individually to read a Gospel a month. And so we went through them all over and over. And that 
changed me so much to be immersed in the life and teachings and miracles and words of Jesus. Uh, it, it very much changed my discipleship. Um, I mean, if Jesus is supposed to be our teacher, we should be immersed in his words and in his world. And, and I think that's a really important practice for all Christians to do is to go back to the gospels and really see Jesus. And, and one fascinating way to do that is to look through the gospels at the emotional expressions of Jesus. I mean, you can read through Matthew in about an hour and a half, depending on how fast you read Luke as well. You can read through Mark in less than that. And if, if you just sit down and read it straight through as a story, or you listen to it on an audio Bible and just notice the human emotion of Jesus, his anger, his sadness, his surprise, his joy, notice his range of emotion. It's very powerful. And I think that can put us in touch with our own human emotions. And like Jesus, mm. we can learn to feel our emotions fully, accept our emotions, not fight them, but feel them, uh, process them, yeah. and and then choose to obey the Father. Um, but I think that... Yeah. You know, I think that was the step I missed in my growing up. It was obey God, but but I felt like I had to ignore my emotions to do that. But that's not what Jesus no. did. He felt his emotions. He experienced them. He sat with them. And then he obeyed the Father, but he didn't suppress or ignore anything to get there. And so I think that that step of feeling what we're feeling is something a lot of us miss in our in our discipleship. That's right, yeah, because we want to because a lot of the time we have pain and we don't want to avoid the pain, you know. And I speak as mm-hmm. somebody who's done that historically, <laughs> which is not a good idea. And, you know, if, you, if you're angry or you're hurting and you suppress it, all it does is amplify it. Um, mm-hmm. And so when it does come out, because it will come out, it comes out in an unhealthy way. So, yeah, um, yeah, feel the emotions, but you don't have to let them control you. I think that's mm-hmm. the thing. You, I've, I've done a lot of spiritual direction in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually my spiritual director is a qualified therapist as well, which has been really great because it's like having two things at once, you know. And, yes. um, and so I've been able to, in that process of working with her, det- kind of detach myself from my emotions in, 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 to the extent where I don't have to respond to them, um, mm-hmm. but I can still feel them. And mm-hmm. that's a really, you know, I'm still working on it, but it's, but it's really good when you're able to do that because you can actually allow yourself to feel um, and sit in that place, but not let yes. it dictate your actions, um, not give it power over you. Like so, and that's helped me to cry more about things that mm-hmm. traumatic stuff, like from my past, you know, and um, I'm just more in ch- more in touch with my emotions than I used to be, in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I think that's really, really important for everyone, you know, whether you're a Christian or not, um, to be, mm-hmm. to have that, have that healthy relationship with your emotions. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so this book, what's the, what, tell us a bit about this book you're working on. Um, sure. Um, it's, uh, 24 discipleship lessons, um, taking a bit of a different approach to discipleship. Um, my official title at my church is discipleship director. So I've been working on our discipleship program and our spiritual formation for a while. Um, and a lot of the material I've looked at for discipleship 
has been very focused on spiritual disciplines. So getting people to read their Bibles and, and pray more and witness. And, um, and it's mm-hmm. been sort of a very rational, methodical approach to discipleship. Uh, but I've realized over the past few years that that's not where I want to start with following Jesus. I want to actually start with, uh, with who is Jesus? Um, Mm. Who is who is our triune God? How do we understand Father and the Holy Spirit? And who is Jesus? And really, like I said, with the study of the Gospels, just dig into his life and what he taught and what it means to be mm. his follower. Um, mm. So I'm, like I said, working with my seminary professor, Dr. Scott McKnight. Um, and the book is with Zondervan. So we've taken his four books with Zondervan and drawn some themes from those to develop these lessons. So it's uh, King Jesus Gospel and the blue parakeet, which is about the Bible, and then uh, one life, which is about living a life of discipleship, and then fellowship of difference, which is about life in the church. So the whole book starts with um, the King Jesus gospel. What does it mean that Jesus is king? And what is the gospel? Is it a plan of salvation? Is it um, coming to give mental agreement to a set of statements? No, I would say it's not. And Scott says it's not either. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. That is the culmination of the story of Israel. And so the good news is the mm. whole story of Jesus as the fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures, as mm. the, the long-awaited Messiah, as the king. And so when yeah. we start with the, the story of, of the Bible, the story of Jesus, the story of Israel, Jesus as king, and what then it means for us to be in his kingdom— uh, I think it gives yeah. us a different approach to discipleship. Yeah, it's interesting that the Jesus is King because we, I was at um, an event uh, last weekend, and one of the things we talked about was power. You know, and mm. um, one of the things which came up for me was how Jesus didn't. When Jesus had power, he gave it away. You know, when he he didn't hold on to it tightly and force it on other people. Um, mm-hmm. He tried to br- draw people in and make them part of what he was doing. You know, um, I heard a podcast today about two different types of power. One of them is one of them was like it's, it's basically this whole idea like right-handed and left-handed power. And right-handed power mm-hmm. is when you force it on people and when it's aggressive and domineering and like you know very hierarchical. And then there's this other left-handed power which is more about kind of wooing people and, and bringing them along with you and you know, you know, kind of directing people rather than dictating to them. And this is the yes. model of power that Jesus uses, you know. Um, you know, and yeah, it's a really interesting thing to think of Jesus as king. I still struggle with, with the whole idea of Jesus as a, the language anyway of Jesus as king. Mm-hmm. While I understand mm-hmm. the kind of, I get the concept. Um mm-hmm. So, I mean, how does that work? I mean, you've, obviously you've been through a deconstruction and reconstruction. Mm-hmm. So how does Jesus as King work for you? Mm-hmm. I think actually one of the most important lessons I've learned is what you just said, that it's a different understanding of authority and power. Uh, I actually preached a sermon about a year and a half ago called Jesus is Anti-Abuse. Uh, and I also wrote that up for Dr. Knight's blog, Jesus Creed. Um, and I looked at that ethical idea, what you just said, that Jesus is, is anti-abuse. Jesus' power 
was used to serve and Jesus gave invitations. He never compelled people. So for me, coming from a fundamentalist background, I still struggle with the mindset of, uh, of power over, of proving what's right and um, forcing people to sort of believe the same way that I do. Um, and so even though some of my beliefs and perspectives have changed, um, sometimes I can still have that sort of power over mindset. And that's something that I'm really working hard to root out in myself. Um, I don't want to be authoritarian or hierarchical um, or violent. I want I want to embrace the nonviolence of Jesus and the open invitation and the letting people walk away. Jesus was mm-hmm. the kind of king who let people walk away. They, they could choose to follow, but he let them leave if they didn't want to. So to see Jesus as king is to see someone who offers me an invitation to participate in his great kingdom where he promises to make all things right and good again. Um, uh, like I said, I have five kids, and my favorite Bible storybook is called The Story of King Jesus by Ben Irwin, mm. and it tells the whole story of the Bible. But he talks about Jesus as king, and it's a beautiful book. I, the illustrations are gorgeous. The story is incredible. I've actually read it out loud to my church during a sermon, uh, actually yeah. twice now. Um, this, so the story of King Jesus um, he promises to make everything right and good again. And that's a phrase that Ben Irwin uses in his book. Jesus will defeat sin and Jesus will defeat death. And Jesus will free the oppressed and open the eyes of the blind and set prisoners free and heal the sick. And that's the kind of kingdom that he's bringing. And so he offers me the invitation to join that kingdom, to join that process of making the world the way God always intended it to be with God as the king and and us as the king's people living in the land of the king, living in the kingdom. Um, And that is a concept that I can get very excited about um, Mm. to serve that kind of king and to serve in that kind of kingdom. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I've got a, I think it's the language, isn't it? It's not necessarily what we mean by it. That's the, that, right. that could be the problem. You're like, because you say king and you say power and kingdom, and that for some people that's gonna be that can be really toxic. But when you talk about what it actually means, which is Jesus' model of power and Jesus' model of kingship, is completely different to anything that we've seen by anyone, mm-hmm. anyone who holds power or anyone who is a king or queen in the on the earth. It's it's a completely mm-hmm. different model. Um, and we almost we've put language on what it is. We've used our language to describe it in a sense, because you know, king right. is actually is kind of is earthly language, isn't it? It's it's in a way it's like, um, but it's almost like it's just it's just a different model completely of 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 what we call of what we call kingship um, and right. authority and, and power. Back to, yes. I think that's why it's important to get back to um, the culture and the language of the Bible, uh, which is the focus of my my seminary program is um, New Testament context. And Dr. McKnight has really been working with us to understand the first century Jewish context that the Gospels and the New Testament were written in um, to strip away that layer of language that we put onto the Bible and understand what it meant to the people of the time. Mm-hmm. And so we get back into Bible language of, of Messiah, of Christ, Christos, of the anointed one, uh, of, of Kyrie, of Lord, um, of, of allegiance, 
Um, so when we get back into these Bible terms, um, I think it gives us a better idea than, yeah, than our modern idea of, of what kingship might look like. Um, and, uh, and also understanding what kingdom, what, what did the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew called it, what did that mean to people when they heard it at the time? Um, of course they had Davidic kingship and the promise of the Messiah who would sit on David's throne in there and the idea of, of freedom from oppression. Um, and Jesus taught that his kingdom was not of this world and yet it was in this world and he did actual miracles and actual freeing of people in this world. So it's, it's the, yeah, I always the kingdom, think, you know, I always think when he said that, that it's not of this world, uh, to me that, for me, that means it's not, it's not grounded in the ways of the world. It's not like, it's not a kingdom. As, it's not a kingdom as you, what, of what you call a kingdom. It's completely different. Like, cause he says, if my kingdom were of this world, as in, if it was, if my kingdom worked like your kingdom's work, my followers would have fought to prevent me from being captured. Mm-hmm. But my kingdom doesn't work like that. Like that's right. that's what he's saying in that moment. Is like my kingdom doesn't work in the way that yours work. My followers don't fight violently and aggressively. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's not like it's not like hierarchy and power all centralized on me dictating to everybody else. Like. Mm-hmm. Um, and oppressing people who disagree with me, um, yeah. or who don't follow me, it's completely different. It's a completely upside down model of it. Um, right. And that's. I think we lose that sometimes in those. We don't. When we. This is why I love reading just single quotes of Jesus and just unpacking mm-hmm. them because you can because we you get so familiar with them that you lose what they what they really mean and their power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one aspect that we miss um, when we think of God as all-powerful divine king, as we might tend to think of God, we, we lose, again, that human aspect of Jesus. We lose what Hebrews tells us, that we have a great high priest who understands exactly what we've experienced. And the incarnation is what makes Jesus different from all other gods because God became human mm. and dwelt among us. And he was and is in the, in the continual incarnation, he is truly human. And so now at this very moment, sitting at the right hand of the father is our human Jesus. Yeah. And I, and yeah, he, you know, still bearing the, the marks of his crucifixion. Like he's the kind of King who stepped down from his throne and he lived with us. Um, and a great, source on on looking more at the human Jesus is Dr. Cherith Fee Nordling. She's another one of my professors at Northern, and she's Gordon Fee's daughter, people who are familiar with theologian Gordon Fee. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cherith, uh, she has such a passion about the, the embodied Jesus um, and the way that she talks about him and, and describes him as this five foot three Middle Eastern man with his mother's eyes and his rough hands from from working with his hands and Jesus being exhausted after a long day's work. And she will say in classic, Jesus knows what it means to put your head on the pillow at the end of the day, exhausted. He literally knows what it feels like. And so when we remember that this king is human and experiences the physical things we've experienced and, and the emotions that we've experienced, 
he has the right to lead us because he's he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. And yeah, I mean, the other thing about I, was, I almost mentioned this earlier when we were talking about mental illness that um, Jesus Gethsemane. Oh, that's mm-hmm. often the bit I resonate with Jesus the most. Because mm-hmm. he kind of has an, an emotional breakdown, you know. Right. Um, like, really severe anxiety and, like, mm-hmm. um, you only sweat blood when you're under severe emotional pressure and, like, under a major trauma, you know. And, that, and he actually went through that. That's what happened, you know. I actually think sometimes that he, in that moment, he was going like in a, a very quick deconstruction and reconstruction <laughs> as well, because he kind of goes like, you know, is there another way out of this? Can I avoid, can I avoid doing this? Like, can you do this some other way, please, apart from me um, having to go through all this stuff? Um, and yeah, I think, and so, and that's something that's familiar to a lot of people. Um I think we again with something we lose the humanity of Jesus sometimes. We, you know, mm-hmm. when we when we dress it up in the language of the Bible, we when you strip it all away, you actually see Jesus was a very, very human being with with very mm-hmm. human problems. Um, yeah, is the same as we've experienced. Yeah, and he did what he did by the power of the Holy Spirit which is the same power of the Holy Spirit that we have now. And so when Jesus said, you will do greater things than I've done, he meant it. And by the Holy Spirit, we can. Um, and so I think we miss that also. Jesus, because he set aside his His divinity to become human in the incarnation, he wasn't reading people's minds and just doing miracles, zapping people in a sort of magic way but was as a human working by the Holy Spirit, just like he asks us to do. Um, so when I when I think about his humanity and his emotions, um, it helps me learn how to be fully human, how to be fully healthy, how to obey God in that, and how to serve God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it just makes me excited to be a part of the kingdom of God and to follow King Jesus yeah. as a student yeah. and friend. I mean, I- yeah, and, uh, yeah, and I, I'm definitely at a place in my spiritual journey, and I suspect a lot of my listeners are, are the same. That um, I'm really, for me, I'm really in love with Jesus right now. I, I just, it's not so much Christianity or the church. It's, it's really Jesus and who He is, and and like that's where I'm connecting. Um, and then there might be some. I've got I've got people who listen to this who um, feel out of the church right now. Feel disconnected from God, and um, and I want to acknowledge them as well because they'll be they'll be listening. And but um, I don't want to them to feel like they're alienated. But um, as someone who's been on that journey and is coming through, I think there is. We we all come through that journey differently. I think some people come through that that journey and end up leaving the faith some people come through that journey and end up going full on back right into christianity um some people come like in between and um but i think the person of jesus um when even if you just take away the religious stuff um 
who he is and what he did and what he said and what he experienced, I think that can resonate with all of us. Yes. I, I, I love that you say that you're in love with Jesus. I, that's how I feel too. And that's what keeps pulling me back. And, uh, and I'll just be honest. And I hope this resonates with your listeners who are struggling. The last few weeks have been really tough for me emotionally. Some major things I've been dealing with. Mm. Um, I'm very angry. Um, there's still a lot of anger as I continue to deconstruct bad teaching and spiritual abuse and, and I'm just so angry. Um, and yeah. I, I was sitting in church on Sunday and I couldn't stop crying during worship. And it was a communion Sunday. And I just said, you know what? I can't even take communion right now because I'm so angry. There are people in this room that I feel like I hate right now. I can't do it. Mm. And and just sitting there and meditating on Jesus and his call to follow him, his call to love our enemies mm. and his call to be nonviolent. Um, I was really wrestling with that. And all I could pray was, Lord, I believe help my unbelief just over and over. Lord, I believe help my unbelief, which is one of my absolute favorite mm. scriptures and favorite prayers. And eventually I had to get up and leave and go to the bathroom and wash my face. Cause I was, I was due to have to go up front in front of everyone and lead the offering and the announcements and, um, had to stop crying mm. first. So, you know, part of me is, is ecstatically happy about the the work that I get to do and the ministry that I get to do, I'm thrilled about it. And another part of me is, is still just struggling as I think all disciples do, um, because it's constantly choosing to follow him. It's not a one and done decision. It's every day saying I'm really angry and I would like to burn things to the ground right now, but I'm going to choose, uh, to keep going back to the way of Jesus and trying to, Keep going yeah. back to that way of love. And uh, yeah, the event I was at the other day, we we didn't have communion, um, and I think that's because some people, some some people there would have been, it would have been triggering. Um, but we had this thing at the end where the two people who were leading <coughs> said that they stood at the front and said, "If you want to have a hug after what we've been through together, all the stuff we've talked about, just you can queue up and we'll just give you a hug. Like, don't have to say anything." Just give you a hug, and I and mm-hmm. and I went up and had a hug, and um, the, one of the people I there, especially I know quite well, and he's kind of a friend, and um, he gave me a hug and just said, "I love you, James." You know, and it was this big bear hug almost. You know, um, and as I reflect on it now, it felt it was, wasn't just him saying that; that it was it was Jesus saying that. You know, it was. Yeah. Just didn't, just because I I was an emotional wreck at the end of that. I've been, been a lot of stuff had been brought up that needed healing, and I just needed that hug and to be told that I was loved, and that's exactly what I got, you know. And it was it was a divine moment, and um, yeah, I think we all need to know that. Yes, and I would love for churches to be that space for everyone um, to be the place where people find their emotional healing, where people get support for their mental health struggles, where people can ask their tough spiritual questions and not get shamed for it, but really dig in the answers together. Um, And I guess it starts with me being a faithful disciple, um, which is still a challenge sometimes. Um, But as Mm. I hope that as I, as a part of the church, become a safe and healthy person who loves others, that the whole church together can become that too. 
I yeah. Um, I just want to really like affirm that what you just said. It's just you're so. I love how hopeful you are, and it's not just like idle hope and unfounded hope. It's you know you've had traumatic experiences of your own. You've deconstructed everything. You've you've been in that place where a lot of people still are and you've come out the other side and those wounds are still there like you say um, but you're still hopeful and that's a really amazing thing I think <coughs> excuse me so um, thank you for coming on the show it's been so so great to have you on I've really enjoyed this conversation it's been fantastic it's actually been really good for me too, actually in the process of talking of discovering some of that hope that I really wasn't feeling a couple days ago so thanks for giving me the chance to process that oh that's so great thank you and um, that's what I love about podcasting I always say this it's a place to practice the art of conversation and we need that more than ever and it's a place and when we when we talk and we really have proper conversation and we listen to each other and we share um it can be really really helpful and healing for us so thank you for coming on the show becky it's um such a privilege to have you here i'm really grateful i will definitely have you back on again i think um you know i think we could we could continue talking about these things for much longer absolutely i'd love to um so yeah thanks for listening everyone i really hope this has been um helpful and healing for you and um yeah talk to you all soon